Hey everyone, welcome to the Alpha Community Twitter Spaces. My name is Nat, Head of Strategy at Alpha Venture DAO. And as you might have heard last week, we have expanded from Alpha Finance Lab to Alpha Venture DAO as the first step towards decentralizing our community. If you didn't see the news, just check out our Twitter at Alpha Venture DAO. And here's a quick recap. It's a builder's DAO where we built and incubate Web3 innovations in a community-driven way. And what's unique about the Alpha's incubation program is that our operating experience have been builders ourselves and also our growing community of 100K plus members. Um, these are ready for the incubated projects to tap from day one. And in addition, projects can also tap into the best mindshare in Web3 for mentorship or what we call Alpha Network as well. And Alpha Network includes thought leaders like Peter, who's kindly joined us today as speakers, um, who's done a lot of work in community building and the DAO space. So I'd like to welcome Peter to the show and this Twitter space. He needs no introduction, and he's written a lot of pieces about building community and DAOs. Um, Peter is currently an investor at 1KX, and he's invested in multiple DAOs, including Index Cube, Strider DAO, and participating in the investment DAO called MetaCartel DAO as well. So today we'll talk all about community building and DAO design. So stay tuned and um, feel free to ask questions along um, at the end of the at the end of the AMA as well. If you have questions along the way, you can either ask them at the end or tweet your questions using hashtag AskAlpha and I'll read it out loud. Okay. Without further ado, hey Peter, how are you doing, and what have you been up to? How's it going? Today? You know, uh, I'm good. You know, a lot I'm of good. things. <laughs> a lot of things, but yeah. I'm sure. So um, let's start by giving our listeners a little, a little bit of background on the DAO landscape, since you spend so much time on it. How has, um, how has the landscape changed tremendous, uh, changed from you know in 2016 when we had the DAO, which got hacked to today where there, there's a lot more development going on? And what are the main types of DAOs that you see today? Yeah, I, I think that um, back when the DAO was hacked, uh, it was, I, I think, yeah, everyone had the same vision back then of what DAOs could be, right? Uh, the DAO, you know, the vision of DAO was to be this like community, Ethereum community organization that would fund uh, applications that were to be built on top of Ethereum. They were, it was, you know, sort of a DAO that was focused on giving out grants. It was a DAO focused on hiring people. And, it, you know, it's just mostly been a vision played out across the whole space, right? Uh, and really the history of DAOs, in, at least within the Ethereum ecosystem, is that the DAO was created, it was hacked. And then there was a period between 2016 and 2019, uh, early 2019, where there was not a lot of DAO experimentation. And there was sort of this DAO PTSD, right? So PTS DAO is what we called it, right? Uh, DAOs back during this period was highly theoretical. There was two organizations mostly building and working in the DAO space, you know, two DAO frameworks that were that are now really considered depreciated and slightly irrelevant nowadays. I would really, you know, they, they did a lot, they were sort of DAO stack and arrogant. You know, they did great work, but I, I'd argue that they never really, you know, built any operating, truly operating DAOs uh, during that period until, you know, really Moloch DAO came out, you know. The Moloch DAO was a DAO summoned by me and Solomani and sort of like funded and participated in by various like core firm community members. And this was a DAO focused on just funding core firm development. And it was a simple, it was basically, you know, they, 
they took the idea of a DAO and created a minimal version of it, where it was purely focused on giving out grants. And, you know, the, the thinking back then was, if we can't build a DAO just that was purely focused on giving out grants to pulling capital, right, in a charitable fashion, right, we wouldn't be able to build any other DAOs, right? So it was like, a, it was just the scoping down of what the DAO vision was. And I think during 2019 helped sort of create the metacultural ecosystem of DAOs where, you know, we, built, we forked Moloch DAO and created the metacultural DAO that was focused on giving out grants where we incubated products like Zappa and Collabland, Gelato Network and a few others. And from then we sort of really started experimenting during 2019 of like, what could DAOs be? Could they be service organizations? We built the first service DAO, uh, you know, Metacultural built, built the first service DAO called Raid Guild. We built um, Metacultural Ventures, you know, the first investment down in the space. And I think we were just really tinkering uh, and we sort of created, I guess, like decentralized fashion label DAOs with Metafactory. And that was just really an experimentation of like, what could DAOs be beyond just grants programs? And I think uh, it, it's strange to see, like, you know, I, I guess today it's obvious that, that, you know, DAOs could be, there's this whole design space of DAOs, but back then there was only grants DAOs and, I think that period of time was really just thinking for how, how can we break past that mental model, right? Um, and in I think in 2020, this really evolved as DeFi protocols that were sort of been, that's sort of been stewarded by centralized organizations that really looked to decentralize. And I think Compound led the way with like decentralizing uh, the, you know, um, the, you know, lending market. And then I think everyone else in DeFi followed and I, yeah. And, and, and I think like, over 2021, there was sort of the emergence of NFTs and people realized NFTs could be a new, another building block and primitive for decentralized organizations. Um, and so I think that, you know, I guess like smart contracts just really, you know, enable fluid and organizations to be really formed pretty easily, far, far more easily than, you know, uh, centralized organizations can be formed and run. So I think just by that, like, uh, decentralized, you know, token, like basically token incentives and decentralized uh, coordination via smart contracts really enable like the, like, you know, this like aggregation tool uh, via this org uh, organizational model. Um, yeah, I mean, just like, um, you know, through token incentives, we can sort of aggregate anything really. And, you know, or, and I guess human organizations is one of them and services is another, capital is another, all sorts of resources will be sort of coordinated. So, I think, you know, the design space is pretty open here. Yeah, thanks for sharing the landscape from 2016 where when we had the DAO to Malok DAO, Metacartel DAO, to today we have DeFi DAO and NFT DAO as well. And it goes beyond just providing grants, but also now building and incubating products. So I agree with you that we have a lot of design space, um, a lot of opportunities here in the DAO. So um, we've seen projects creating a DAO just so to create a DAO. And in fact, you call this Kumbaya DAO, which means in your words, um, DAOs that love to hold hands, make short-term feel good comfort, based decisions and running pointless community building efforts. So as builders of Web3 projects today, do you believe that all Web3 projects should be a DAO? Uh, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, like uh, the, the decentralized coordination is just purely a means to end. Uh, all communities, all projects should be focused on getting stuff done, achieving goals, achieving, you know, objectives, right, that matter to people. And, you know, decentralized coordination is just in the tool to get that, right? So uh, I think that uh, many, uh, if not, I think that many, if not all communities or more, all goals, you know, can leverage decentralized coordination uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, I think that 
Uh, I think that, you know, decentralized coordination is demonized a lot more than it, it should be, but mostly because there's really bad, there's poor decentralized coordination and then there's great decentralized coordination. And I think it just depends on what you apply it to and how you scope it and how you manage it, right? Um, it's not something you can just slap on. Decentralized coordination is something that, you know, it needs to be managed carefully and needs to be utilized in a very specific way, uh, which it doesn't like... Uh, it, that is really just focus on getting shit done. I think that's, a, you know, what decentralized coordination should be all about. Uh, it's not holding hands. It's not pretending to be a community. You know, um, it's, I think decentralized coordination is about getting as much, basically getting, achieving as much as you can with as little as you can. It's a good point. Decentralized coordination means getting stuff done in a very efficient in an efficient way in little as little resource as possible so what are some of the mental models you'd recommend to founders when they think about bootstrapping community i knew you write about how to grow decentralized communities on medium so if anyone hasn't seen it please go check out peter pan's medium post um on 1kx publication so yeah can you talk a little bit more about how um, what are some of the frameworks or mental models you'd recommend to founders yeah, I think that uh, whenever possible, operate in a centralized way. But at the moment you need to really, you know, gather wider participation from an open ecosystem, uh, you should probably should look to start thinking about decentralized coordination and decentralized incentives. Um, I think that's really it. Like, it doesn't need to be more complicated than this. And I think the other key parameter is really making sure you curate your participants um, this sort of means that, you know, you're really only allowing initial community members in, you know, based on the ability to actually participate and add value to the organization. And when you eventually launch token incentives, I think like uh, there's a sort of mental model that rather than launching token incentives that anyone can really, you know, work towards, uh, you know, you should be actually looking to form entire DAOs that are focused on your network goals first. So this has sort of been a framework that we sort of developed in 1KX where, you know, um, I think the whole goal of incentives is based, uh, token incentives, right, uh, of various DAOs to basically drive network goals. But rather than just like issuing it out to the public, you actually want to develop entire organizations that are focused on your goals, right? And oftentimes this sort of looks like, you know, most token networks are just like marketplaces and we you know we have the supply and demand. And you should actually look to build entire organizations that look to drive uh, supply and demand goals. Um, and, and then through that, distribute tokens as a, uh, not as a way to acquire community members, but as a way to retain community members. So, um, yeah, classic. We, we sort of executed this for NiftyFi. NiftyFi is an investment of one KX where it's a, a lending, NFT lending platform. You can get loans on your NFTs. Um, basically, you know, it, we, we, at some point, we, we, we were struggling to see where long-term demand for, you know, uh, demand for these, for loans, I mean, would, would come from potentially. Um so like supply side is like NFT inventory and demand side would be like underwriting loan underwriting, basically underwriting liquidity. Right. Uh, we sort of built uh, a bot that underwrites different like NFT loans. And then we created an entire community around that bot and it's now called Gringotts DAO, but soon to be called called uh, Goblin Sacks. So it's in, we sort of bootstrap this DAO, you know, raise liquidity from community. The community is now sort of operating it. We heavily curated who should be part of the community early on. So it's like a community of 30 people right now. And we will look to expand it, expand it over time slowly. But the fact is that, you know, we sort of built this entire DAO that now is driving the, the demand side goals of Niftify all about the, you know, 
participation of the core team, without participation of Niftify itself. And it's doing it in a sustainable way, even without token incentives, right? So it's, just, you know, on its lending, it's doing around 40 to 6% APR on the capital deployed. Um, and yeah, this is an example where like we've built a fully sustainable organization that is now uh, built on top of Niftify. Um, and yeah, and this would be an example of a supply or demand DAO, right? So I think like, I actually, there's an arguable like sort of, there's an arguable like, you know, argument here where like, open permissionless liquidity token incentives will be eventually sunsetted, or at least it's a tool that you can leverage, you know, for very, for, I guess, commoditized work and contributions to a network, but for increasingly more specialized work and participation, uh, it's likely going to be sunsetted in favor of more targeted just token distributions through, uh, you know, supply and demand DAOs. Can you talk a little bit more on um, what are some of the, like easy examples of structuring the supply and demand side of the DAO? Yeah, it's, it's called, you, you identify the goals of your network and you build entire organizations to drive those goals. And you find sustainable business models for those individual organizations. So the difference is that you're building entire autonomous sustainable organizations that are focused on network goals, as opposed to just subsidizing a working group that struggles to find leadership. Um, so we're seeing that DAOs out there are typically um, less efficient than the normal corporations, right? Because uh, the 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 way that the decision making is designed, meaning depends everyone on what? in the community, yeah, uh, depends on the it depends on what. Um, but what are some of the sort of best DAOs that you see out there in terms of structuring and operations that fit into what you mean by um, designing DAOs that fit the goals of the network? Uh, so well. Designing the, the designing goals that fit the goal. Uh, um, I'm sorry, that's the two questions at once. Um, so, like in terms of examples of various DAOs that uh, support the goals of a network in an independent fashion, you can look at you know uh, Goblin Sacks or I mean like uh, it's called now currently on Twitter called Gungadel. There's also Goblin Sacks, but there's also out like Covalent Launch Alchemist DAO to aggregate you know uh, data scientists. There's like sort of Set set protocol launch index co-op as its first customer of the set infrastructure. Um, you can sort of apply this to various. You know, it's simple. Like if you you know most projects have goals either supply side or demand side. You just identify entire like identify those goals and figure out like what organizations can sort of be can sort of be built that can drive those goals. Um, there's examples that I just listed that. Uh, in terms of like you know. Um, like what are best examples? I think like there's no DAO that out there that's really like done, um, you know, like operated very like has sort of like I do, I wouldn't say there's any like you know fairy tale DAO, fairy tale DAO that's like executed flawlessly. I think there's different DAOs that have like really done well in curating its initial participants. I think there's various DAOs that's done well in scaling. I think not. I haven't. I don't know any DAO that sort of like you know, um, really evolved in a in a flawless fashion, right? And I think. Um, most most people's perceptions of DAOs being ineffective is mostly due to you know not finding product market fit, like basically onboarding you know contributors on mass without actually finding product market fit first, leading to like basically a shit ton of governance bloat. Um, and yeah, I, I think that you know I'm I'm actually pretty happy and excited to get back to sort of building as well. You know with with so so you know Gob Gringot style Goblin Sacks has been a one KX incubation where we sort of bootstrapped it entirely and sort of helped, you know, surface 
various community members as well to drive it, drive it forward. But, you know, that, I feel like hope, hopefully that goes smoothly and you, you sort of like, um, you know, practice what we preach, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's something to, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a nuanced thing. Well, like, I don't think any DAO's done it well. Most DAOs, I think, are in a shit show nowadays, mostly due to the lack of clarity on their goals and vision. And they're just spending way too much capital without actually attributing that back to the organization's goals. Yeah, I think um, a lot. That, that that sounds very similar to Web two projects where companies don't really have product market fit, but then they want to spend a shit ton on customer acquisition. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which, yes, which yes, is yes. not going to give Classic. product market fit. <laughs> yes, yes, especially tokens, right? Like you know, if if you like think about it, if you're building a network or you're building a product, right? Like the Web two term, right? Uh, and you're by if using the product actually doesn't solve your like isn't sustainable or like if network participation by itself is not sustainable, then you know adding token incentives that pump up temporarily in price as a, as a price incentive wouldn't doesn't really solve that inherently right. Um, so I like to think that like yeah it's it's a really like like you described it's it's spending money to obfuscate the actual realities of where you are at right as a network as a product you know um and and it's i wouldn't say like networks are unsustainable it's that like you need to find the sustainable models right for example we basically built a DAO that provides liquidity for profit for profit in a sustainable fashion on niftyfy this is operating and will likely even if there's no token incentives to niftyfy this is operating at a profit and there is this economic incentive to coordinate around this right so i think like every network needs to find their own like goblin sacks or like bring it down right uh, that can sort of operate you know efficiently and uh in a for-profit manner you know without the need of token incentives and i think that you know networks are mostly uh, misleveraging token incentives to acquire community members and acquire contributors when in fact uh tokens uh, and economic upside is better leveraged as you know a way to retain existing high quality contributors right and the and and you know, and rarely do like token incentives attract the best contributors and builders. You, you know the best contributors and builders are attracted by vision, like a a bigger vision. You know they want to be part of something bigger than themselves, and they're attracted by mission, they're attracted by a sense of community, right? And attracted by other smart people. They're not attracted by capital. So I think like we need to rethink sort of how people projects need to re, re, sort of consider like this endless mindlessness of just like launch incentives, blah, blah, TVL goes up, you know, close your eyes and then, you know, basically, you know, uh, I, I don't know, uh, live happily ever after because that's not really the case. I love that. Um, so token incentives should not be used to acquire, but to retain high quality contributors. Looks like yeah. we have some folks wanting to ask questions. Let me open the floor to hands. Hans, Hans, you're up now. Do you mind unmuting and ask a question? Hey, Hans. Oh, we can't hear you. I guess in the meantime, we'll turn the mic over to the businessman. I'm, I'm not as shy as Hans, so no worries. 
Uh, a couple of things. So speaking to what, I'm sorry, I don't know what your name is. Gentleman was just uh, talking about, just, you know, the quality of the DAOs we have now. To think of uh, of any DAO that kind of fits the parameters that, that you were talking about, could, you know, not people just coming in for the token drops, and because that's unsustainable and they don't add value, um, but really community driven and like minded. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is Neo Tokyo, which is a bit of an aberration. If anybody doesn't know what Neo Tokyo is, it is a uh, it's a DAO made up of uh you know it's not exactly a a walled garden but it's difficult to get in limited membership and it's run by and populated with people who are very smart when it comes to nfts and gaming and it's you know so they use it for alpha i'm not a member so i'm not like showing it but yeah, you know, to get it, the last sale was like 250 ETH to, to become a full member there. But then you have BitDAO, which is a larger example, but is really the epitome of, of so many DAOs right now. They're sitting on $3 billion, just sitting in the treasury, doing nothing. And you see this. Amazing. Yeah, and they get and they get like a hundred million more every week from Bybit. So they, uh, yeah, just just sitting in the Dow. That's it, doing nothing. And but you see that across almost every Dow. There's just so much money sitting in these treasuries. That uh, you know, in itself, it it's you know, it's a problem for them, but it it's a great opportunity to 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 try to figure out to to tap into that money because there's so much right. dead money sitting just sitting there. So you know, right. even Sorry, some you-, you know some decent you know. You know, safer yield uh, programs. I'm sorry, you you, you want to say something? Yeah, sorry. Just wanted to um, check in and see uh, what what's the question that you have for Peter. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, do you have any question for Peter? Oh, so my question was going to be. Sorry, I thought I was making good points. Um, my question was going to be: Are you opposed to? A wall DAO, a garden wall. I, yeah, that's really it. Because I feel some sometimes not, depending I, on I don't how see it the the you know the product is. I'm sorry, sir. Great points. Um, yeah, um, yeah. No, fascinating, fascinating uh, breakdown of. Uh, you know, detailed, you know, view of the space. Um, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, organizations themselves should really curate, you know, dictate how open they are. 
And, you know, you can definitely run decentralized curated communities while being quote unquote rolled, but I really just see it as effective curation, right? I mean, curation can be effective or it can be, dis, uh, you know, ineffective, right? So it can keep valuable people out or it can actually just, you know, create a better environment for the right people. So it's a duality here with curation. Um, yeah, in terms of, I think the uh, to the point of like, oh, there's money sitting on the treasuries. Uh, I think that's the precise problem that, you know, me problematic mental model we have today. It's not money, it's network ownership that can be used to, incentivize uh, stewards and contributors right uh so just you know we shouldn't be just like giving giving out ownership and like governance just to anyone i think people need to own it right just like out in a company you basically can own stock right um uh, but it's like locked up invested over time and uh you're only given the stock once you realize once the organization realizes your your critical your mission critical and you're valid before the organization and you're able to drive the organization's goals i think that Networks nowadays are really just like, you know, spraying, praying and hoping for network participation and uh, network growth without having uh, existing functional structures and organizations in place. Yeah, thanks for the question, the businessman and, and Peter for sharing your thoughts around how network ownership should not be given out to anyone, but people should earn it. And the, that's where the curation of the members come into play. Now, talking, talking a little bit about the curation part of the membership, how do you actually um, structure DAOs in a way that's efficient or scalable? Because I think yeah, that's where um, a lot of the issues come in. I uh, can't really scale. It's very hard to scale uh, decision-making in a very decentralized way. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, mo like the businessman said, right, you know, most uh, most tokens are, you know, really just governing uh, a treasury that then sort of governs, which then they also sort of maybe they might govern protocols and governance, right? And they might, uh, you know, they sort of govern the decisions of, of how the money is spent, right? So I think that, you know, in the best case scenario, most token, uh, like how most DAOs and I guess, you know, uh, token networks, ideally, sort of governance minimized, right? So ideally, the token holders are really just like, you know, governing and curating what what the network goals are. And they're sort of curating entire sort of, I guess, different like initiatives, right, um, to drive those uh, goals. So currently, right now, um, so I guess you can sort of break like break down, uh, you know, a network in the sense that there's resource allocation, and there's initiatives that drive supply side and demand side you know, uh, to the network. And right now, like, you know, sort of DAOs and networks have basically like bundled all three of these goals under one single organization, right? And um, I think by that nature, you're just like, you're expanding the scope of governance so wide to the point where it's like, you know, there's so much to manage, right? There's sort of like, uh, I think the, the, more, the greater the scope, the more chance it becomes a shit show and we sort of are seeing this play out in crypto and, and the DAO space right now. I think the, the key is to basically, instead of like treating... Uh, networks as like monolithic, you know, organizations, you have to think, think of them more as a set of microservices. Uh, microservices were sort of like a term really coined in 2004 when, you know, where it's basically you split up rather than building a centralized uh, application where the, you know, where the application sort of like dependent on internal services of each other, you sort of build, you know, many, many modular systems and microservices that are able to be run and operated uh, independently of each other. And they sort of communicate to each other via APIs, right? 
So, and they sort of each, each of these microservices can use their own programming language, their own database schemas. They can operate however they wish to operate as long as they're providing a single, they're achieving the goals of the single business focus that they're sort of like delegated to, uh, delegated, right? And you can sort of like apply this to uh, these uh, networks, right? Like if we're calling the network, they should really like look more like a network where you have token holders are curating, you know, resource allocation towards various individual subunits of the network that are driving supply and demand side goals. Um, and so, you know, and, and I think that, yeah, you know, uh, like, and for these individual units, like they might be DAOs, they might be individual, you know, uh, centralized organizations that might not matter, right? But I think like, this is probably how you scale. It's by pushing the decision-making out to the edges, minimizing governance at the top, and just purely focusing on curating the goals and curating resource allocation and really assessing the performance of these subunits based on the KPIs, the input and outputs effectively. Right. Would you say that what Yearn is doing with their delegated powers is something that is an example for a microservices way of decision making, like you mentioned? I think, yeah, I think they're on the right path. I think the next step is really enabling uh, you know, anyone to really propose my, like their own individual microservices or Y teams to really uh, form, right? So right now it's designed in a nice, uh, you know, modular fashion. But I think the next step is like, let's say, you know, there's, uh, I, I'm not sure like what different working groups there are, but let's say, I think if the current sort of like strategist team, right, or strategist program is a single sub DAO, then imagine there's like another there might be like an open like forum where people could propose different types of like strategist programs that can run by themselves, right? And the you know the key prize would be probably TVL, uh, the yield produced, uh, and various other parameters. And I, I think that you know it's just like I think the next step after the you know modularizing is allowing many different modules or different like you know um, opinionated attempts at driving network growth to emerge from the open, right? So, you, you know, you not only want to organize your network in a way that, like, uh, it's fluid, but you want to basically allow the best ideas from the open to really, you know, uh, come out and get, you know, and contribute and, and then get rewarded for doing so. And it's really, I think this is where, like, truly when decentralized coordination and, like, you know, crypto really, like, meets open source, right? It's like, you know, DAOs are really just open source organizations, yet today most DAOs aren't technically open source. You can't just rock up and contribute, nor can you do work permissionlessly and then get rewarded for it. I think this is really the missing next step, the next step and really the end state of a, of a network. It's when you have operating organizations or sub microservices, like sub DAOs that act as microservices, but then you're sort of like replacing the ones that underperform with better ones. And if there, there is like a much more performant organization or sub DAO, you can sort of like, you know, uh, fund those and like, you know, I guess incrementally allocate more and more resources towards those. Yeah, that's a great point, how the role of sub DAOs can come into play for decentralizing decision making. I'll open, I'll turn the mic to Zero X Quill, who has some question for you. Um, hi, Peter. Um, so I'm just wondering, can you, can you hear me properly? Is that, is that all good? Hey, we can hear you. It's, can you speak up a little? It's, it's a little bit quiet, is it? Um, but yeah, basically, um, I, I really agree with everything that you're saying. I think that um, I completely agree in the sense of these DAOs need to be incentivized. Um, the, the sort of like progression needs to be um, 
incentivized in a sustainable way. And uh, that's something that we're actually sort of experimenting with over um, the Hedge Against Inflation DAO. And uh, something that we've sort of adapted is a new governance system that actually rewards users with multi-asset rewards instead of um, more of our governance token. And um, the way that we've sort of solved the prisoner dilemma um, that you sort of see with these other DAOs, where you have to incentivize people to stay staked and remain staked, um, we use our, our voting power from, um, from the demo. So basically, people can stake their demo and their voting power is constantly increasing. Um, and if they remove their demo, then they are that voting power that they have secured is wiped. And so they're technically put at a disadvantage because when the multi-asset rewards are allocated to people, they're allocated based off their voting power. And so really, the people that are receiving the real rewards are people who are contributing and who have stayed staked within the system for a long period of time. Um, this also creates a, another sort of market for staked demos because the reason that um, when you stake your demo, you, you mint an, an, uh, an SVG NFT. And uh, this basically represents your total votes and the amount of votes that you currently have. And... Um, because you can do that, we can then create a, a liquid market of state demos where people can potentially synthetically make demos um, and then sort of tack on the premium uh, to that coin, that synthetic demo that would be um, given to them based off the increase of voting power that they've had because they've been staked that period of time. And um, we think that this is sort of a, a better way to do the V33 model because it actually provides flexibility to the users to remain, uh, to, to unstake when they want to unstake, uh, and they don't have to sort of commit to that four-year lockup. Um, and we, we sort of talked to Mazari a little bit about it and whatnot, and um, they're sort of, one of their governance researchers is looking into how that might apply to sort of uh, social DAOs. But I really do agree with you in the sense of like, yes, like we do need to be incentivizing governance in a sustainable manner and in, and in a decentralized autonomous manner as well. I think a lot of DAOs actually forget the first two parts of the word, which is decentralized and autonomous. They, they don't have, um, you know, you see with Yearn and some of the other projects, I mean, to be fair, I'm not too versed in, the, in Yearn, but um, with the Yearn team. But basically, they, they aren't decentralized to an extent. You know, there's still that team that relies, that the protocol relies on. Uh, and that's something we're really sort of trying to push for. And we do think that like, by using multi-asset rewards, we can really incentivize um, productive governance, um, not just sort of governance for the sake of it, where people are just getting rewarded more governance tokens. You know, that, that's just a zero-sum game in my mind. By, by using multi-asset rewards, we can actually create a, a productive environment for everyone. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Quill. Um, any, any other questions? on your side for Peter? Um, I basically just wanted to ask Peter um, how he would consider um, the current environment, you know, with, with these governance tokens. What, what do you do with a governance token? Should it be used as a reward token? Should it be used to, to hold value and, and not be given out as protocol rewards? Or is there a balance in between the two? Uh, it depends. Um, I think you need context on what you're building and achieving. 
that's not horribly helpful, but um, <laughs> to expand maybe. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of governance that's purely based on a single parameter, such as economic ownership. I think it's generally pretty antiquated. I think that there's major issues when economics, when governance is a, uh, has is ha- heavily influenced by economic factors. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, I, I've, I've been leaning, I have a strong sort of strongly held uh, opinion that uh, governance should be taking multiple various inputs more than just economic ownership and more than just like, you know, stake in the game, but also, uh, you know, we should be looking at governance and dividing up all the various, you know, uh, basically categorizing all the types of governance decisions that a DAO would make and then identifying what would qualify the right person to, or the right country to express governance there, right? For example, you know, there's, in the real world government today, we have the Ministry of Health, we have the Ministry of uh, Education, you know, every different department, right, really has unique expertise to express, you know, um, opinions, you know, on these various, you know, matters, right, that are highly specialized. There's, there's a reason why we like, you know, voted politicians who then assemble their own, you know, department, basically departments, versus, you know, we don't just like, today like you know basically do like vote on individual policies that these different departments make right those departments really can be arguably considered as the sort of subunit or sub DAOs of the parent government right and so i think that um yeah we should be organizing the governance into various categories identifying which what sort of like you know uh, qualifications uh, and parameters make great governance in those various decisions and then forming entire political organizations to then sort of directly participate in those specialized areas um, and sort of augmenting maybe governance uh, in favor of this. So like, you know, if someone was highly specialized in a certain area, you maybe you want to actually create a like on-chain uh, reputation graph purely focused on like, let's say economics, right? Or, you know, and then augment that for org- economics related decisions. Um, yeah, and, and then, and I think like, yeah, like, but I do think like, you know, ec- like, you know, governance purely dictated by economic stake is just pretty medieval and, and, and like dysfunctional by itself. Thanks, Peter. Hey, Hans, do you have any question? I do. Yeah. Um, so myself, personally, I'm trying to create a DAO, uh, something like Fiverr on Solana. Uh, for creators and investors, um, I wanted to I wanted to get into you guys' minds about like tokenomics and about like your theory on uh, having one governance token versus two. Uh, I've seen projects do that. I've also noticed um, you can have like staking rewards for NFTs and that earn a token, versus you can have uh, like a like a I guess like a a token that is just like a I guess like a fork of a main coin, say Ethereum and Dogecoin, right? Like Dogecoin is a fork of Ethereum. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how do you guys feel like tokenomics have been like evolving to account for more diversified DAO? adoption i guess because i don't I, I i agree with you guys i don't want it to be so uh power at the top with the most money 
So one of the tokens that I've created, you kind of have to work for by completing what I call like project bounties, which is essentially like completing tasks on Fiverr. Um, I wanted to hear you guys' thoughts on kind of those things. And is it, is it, yeah. and is, are all of these things too close to securities? Uh, I guess, first of all, uh, if you're building something and you're looking at the rest of the ecosystem, don't copy anything because most of the ecosystem is horribly confused. <laughs> so, like, you know, you know, I think you should look at fundamentals, right? What are you building? Uh, and what are the goals of the, what you're building, right? So you're building a marketplace, like something like Fiverr, right? So let, let's say there's supply side and demand side. Demand side is demand for the services and supply side is really, you know, service providers. Would that be right? I think, you know, and let's say it is, right? Like, so this is sort of your supply side and demand side. Um, you're, basically, I think you should be designing, um, I mean, so when people talk about tokenomics, I think you really break it down into something more granular here, right? Than just tokenomics. I think it's a broad, very fuzzy term. I think you have to think about how the token is distributed, who you're, you know, who you want the token to be owned by, what sort of network participation you need. And then how do you, uh, how are you able to distribute tokens right to people who are then able to participate and drive the goals of your network so um i think that um you know I, I think it's just like breaking all of these individual things down and thinking for like um mechanics like basically distribution mechanisms i mean like all token networks are just distribution of to ownership and then uh mechanisms to distribute ownership and then the expression of governance through those token holders right um and and i think um yeah, uh, I, I I didn't really get the end tail of your question, but I suggest looking into thinking about like creating entire DAOs to just drive the goals of your network. So like, what could like, what what are some DAOs that you can build that can aggregate you know service providers for this marketplace? What are the some DAOs that you can build to really aggregate demand or like demand for these services, right? Um, and then go from there, and then think about how you can bootstrap these very sub DAOs first, and then think about how you align all these different sub DAOs, you know, uh, with an economic layer, which is a token. And I understand awesome. this might be high level and abstract, but I, I have a thread on my, um, a thread on my uh, profile. Like I, I posted this thread a while ago. So supply and demand sub DAOs. I, I do think this is going to be pretty much how most networks will go to market in the future. And it really, you know, simplifies a lot of you know the complexities of tokenomics to really just curating and funding initiatives that drive supply and demand, and all you need to do as a token network to set up token holders is to curate and govern what works, what doesn't, and what are your goals, right? Um, but yeah, that's a great point, and I think there's a lot of insights in there uh, from how to create an entire DAO that drives towards the goal of the network, how to aggregate demand, and etc. So. And if anyone is interested to look into more details, please do go follow Peter Pan's Twitter. Um, so just check out his uh, Peter, uh, check check out his Twitter handle right now, and then you can go read more about his tweets on sub DAOs and microservices. But before we end today's session, Peter, um, what is the one thing that people should be aware of in terms of creating the wrong type of DAO? You mentioned you call it DAO death spiral. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, just like, uh, <laughs> I guess, um, like, first of all, don't copy 
other projects in the space. The space is horribly, horribly confused right now. Um, trust no one. <laughs> and uh, it's like the Dow version of like, don't don't trust, verify, don't copy anything, don't cop, you know, don't like, uh, yeah, just focus on the fundamentals of what you want to achieve and don't add complexity. Like for any level of complexity, incrementally add it in. Um, but yeah, um, so what was the question again? <laughs> Yeah, the one thing people should should not do. Yeah, <laughs> should, yeah. should not do it, right. I think um, just try to keep, uh, keep a community or net decentralized organization as small as you can, for as long as you can. Um, mostly because like the complexity of scaling human coordination exponentially increases while the, really the output of those individual contributors like decrease over time. So I think you want to be as small as you can for as long as you can while trying to achieve as much as you can throughout the time period. It's probably the best, you know, principle I can share. All right. Thanks so much, Peter, for, for joining us today. Anyone has, does anyone have any last burning question? Okay, I guess that's it for today. Thanks so much, Peter, and also Nichanan for joining from 1KX as well. If anyone wants to learn more about creating a DAO, um, please check out 1KX Network or Peter Pan's or Nichanan's Twitter handles. Um, they are prolific writers and have a lot of insights about building a DAO and community. So thanks so much for joining us today. <laughs>